This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I've got uh, fellow nerds, uh, AJ Vickery and John Beeler with me today. We've got a really interesting program uh, this morning, and you'll need to stay tuned. Later on, we will be talking with Brian Jackson about uh, MIT uh, over in uh, Massachusetts uh, and what they're doing with robots uh, robot technology is advancing way faster than you might think. Uh, we will also be finding out about uh, the latest in cameras uh, for the uh, summer and fall. Here we've got a great guest on from London Drugs to uh, talk about some cool new cameras uh, that uh, will take your photography and video to a whole other level uh, from beginner to advanced. And uh, coming up uh, shortly, I'm going to be talking with Graham about a new hacking technique called war shipping. You might have heard of war driving. In the past, people would drive around in their cars and find exposed uh, Wi-Fi networks that didn't have security. Well, it's taken to a whole other level now. Imagine being able to ship a little uh, hacking tool in a FedEx box that's basically spying on everything as it goes on its route to its final destination. The technology is here, and it's uh, available for under $100, so a little scary. Let's talk about some of the uh, the news here. But before we get to that, John, we went to the uh, Samsung Unpacked event last week to uh, see all the new Samsung, um, I guess, announcements, the new uh, Note 10 and the 10 Plus, the new smartphone. Uh, I just want to talk about your journey home. Yes. <laughs> so this event was held in Brooklyn, uh, and I decided to take an early flight home the next morning. Usually, I take the direct flight out of Newark, New Jersey, and it's a 6.30 at night flight, 6.30 p.m. And it's one of the only direct flights back to On Vancouver. the Dreamliner, nonetheless. Yes. Yeah, yes. Well, one of the only direct Air Canada flights, right. I should uh, so say. So I opted to stay in Brooklyn to have a day in New York. Yes. I had my pizza. I went to some of my favorite stores. It was great. It was also beautiful and, and warm there, too. Meanwhile, I'm on an early flight, and I hate it because I had to get up at 4 in the morning. Did you even go to bed? No, no, I did not. So, you know, I'll, I'll pay for that later. But uh, I got home around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So anyway, I check in with John later that day because I know his flight's taken off at 6.30. So around 3.30 our time in Vancouver, I'm like, hey, how's it going? He's like, oh, my flight has been delayed. Yes. Why? So, well, and a number of flights were delayed the day before. A yeah. lot of our journalist friends were trying to get out of Newark. And there was a big thunderstorm, severe thunderstorm warning while we were at the Samsung event, which caused a cascading effect across all the airlines, across all the airports in sort of the Americas. By the time we get to the gate, our flight was delayed half an hour. They get, okay, no big deal. Yeah. Half an hour became an hour. Yeah. And basically every 35 minutes... We Don't got, you hate this when they just keep adding half an hour or yeah. an hour? Well, oh, yeah. every 35 minutes we get an update that we're half an hour more delayed. Yes. So, At least you're not on the plane. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Finally, we get on the plane. So what time is this New York time? This would have been uh, 11.30. Okay, that's 6.30 to 11.30. That's five hours. Right. But at least you're in, in the, we're the airport on the plane. Bar. You're in the airport bar before that. Yes, <laughs> we were. <laughs> so 11.30 at night, Yeah, you so get on the plane. We get on the plane, and then we're taxiing out. We've got a problem. There was some uh, irregularity with one of their crew members. They timed out. Okay. And so I'm like, well, why don't you take that crew member and put him off the plane? <laughs> so they decided to, that we're going to take off yeah. and go to Toronto and get a connecting flight in Toronto to Vancouver. What? 
we land in Toronto. We're all trying to figure out what's the next step. Oh, well, there's no more flights. <laughs> so we had to go and get booked into a hotel yeah. and get our rebooked flight for the next day, which would have been 2 o'clock. 2 the p.m. Ne- the next day. 2 p.m. the next so day. you're in Toronto cooling your heels. Yeah. We come back to the plane at, for 2 o'clock on the next day, Friday. We're on the plane, and then they can't close the cargo door. <laughs> So are we're they, all are like, just, are you laughing at this point? Or are you crying? Yeah, we're, we're hysterically laughing because yeah. we can't believe our, our dumb luck. Yeah. And so then it takes literally two more hours for them to fix the thing. So it's supposed to take off at two. What time do you finally take off? I think it's closer to five or 5.30. <laughs> so out of all of this, what did Air Canada give you? Um, eventually, we all got offered a $300 flight voucher for, for basically the cargo door incident. Yes. They specifically called out that portion of the flight. Yeah. Um, I think they're probably going to complain about some other weather-related delay for the earlier part, and then the staffing thing. Which you know, how is that our problem? So no, yeah. Anyway, it's glad to glad to have you back. Yeah, I'm glad not to be in Toronto. Let's uh, get onto some uh, some hacking news here. Uh, some big uh, hacking conferences have gone on. What are the two names again? Uh, there's DefCon, yeah, and then there's also the Black Hat conference, which happens around the same time. And these hackers all get together and try to hack into things. And so one of the things uh, that was uh, brought to my attention is uh, some of these guys figured out how to hack into Canon uh, certain Canon DSLR cameras and basically lock out the user of that camera from seeing their pictures. They essentially put ransomware on there so that you have to pay to get the pictures off your card. Yeah. There's a, there's a, basically they, they found a flaw in the firmware where these cameras are the ones that have Wi-Fi, so you can actually easily share them with your smartphone or your computer. And there's actually one of the parts of the protocol allows them to do an, uh, a remote firmware update which will then overwrite the Canon firmware with the hacker's firmware and basically present you with a screen on the back of your camera saying, you know, send Bitcoin to this number. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and basically, if you don't, we're going to delete all your photos. So this hasn't really been seen out in the wild. Not yet. No, th- I should clarify. At these conferences, typically, this is where very skilled hackers showcase their skills and they bring attention to these things in the hopes of mitigating some concerns for people. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully this will be patched by Canon very quickly. I think it already has. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't that freaky though? Your camera. Yeah. It just shows you how connected we are. Yeah. Like your your camera mm-hmm. can be held for ransom. Yeah. Well, I think what it really shows is that um, a lot of these uh, technologies that um, aren't the mainstream computers that are constantly being updated with security patches, like operating systems are always updating and they're fixing these patches. But if you have something like a camera that has firmware, like software, yeah. that literally has access to um, an outside source like Wi-Fi, any like a Anyone lot of that stuff isn't it. being proactively like patched Up, updated no yeah. who, who updates the firmware on their yeah, camera yeah exactly yeah I, some yeah like but it makes you wonder about i phones. would i would but i think most people wouldn't well yeah. I, I think the the question about the phones though the phones generally have a more secure protocol true to yeah that yeah whereas cameras typically have they make it as simple as possible for you to be able to share your photos with another device yeah and even these things that don't have wi-fi they have uh, a point-to-point protocol so it's probably a bluetooth or something like that um you can literally be driving by with uh, the right kind of software to to 
hit all these cameras. Imagine going to like a tourist trap, you know, like well, I'm a almost steam thinking clock. too, what, what, uh, what other um, devices have firmware that have Wi-Fi connectivity in it, like TVs, for example. Yeah. TVs, yeah. You know, any like, Internet of Things device. Yeah. yeah, there's just so many. Everything now has Wi-Fi or yeah. Bluetooth in it. And easier to hack because because typically they're based on older software right. platforms. They've never been updated probably as well. Hmm. iPhone ca- iPhone cables as well were hacked? Yeah, Lightning well, there, there's, there's some cables that are floating around that look like legit cables. They actually have the same kind of like folded cardboard that holds them in, in nice little, you know, corded uh, piles. And they actually have a hidden little circuit inside that ha- will actually deploy malware into your computer. <laughs> Great. So where, where, where would you find these cables? Probably on Amazon or okay. some other less legit outlet you know so i'm back to buying the expensive cables directly from apple (laughs) pretty much yeah well you know that's the thing right you pay so much for these cables like apple cables are not cheap no like if you want like a a good one it's it's 20 bucks by the time the dust clears oh yeah yeah. right yeah and so you see all these cheap ones like at the gas station and you know you buy that one for four dollars and it's going to work for about a day and a half before it just dies yeah Yeah. (laughs) and now you're saying that some of these cables have viruses on them yeah well they, you can usually tell there's maybe not quite legit because the apple ones have a really small uh plug head yes the the less legit ones generally have a much bigger plug head because that's where there's like less uh discrete circuitry uh or a bigger housing that actually holds the little i never noticed but you know you say 20 bucks mike but think about like the uh, you know with the whole USB-C thing and so then you've got like a uh, you want to connect your computer to like a HDMI cable and a audio cable and another power cable. That's a hundred dollar cable. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. You know. Right. So, but you can get those online for like five bucks. Five bucks. Yeah. But you how get what good you pay they? for. You, yeah. you do get what you pay for. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. that's why I always try to buy like a Belkin or Logics. Yeah. Cables. One of the the name known like a name, name that you've heard of. Yeah. Before. I mean, we were in China recently. They've got cheap cables over there, and it's, <laughs> it's hard like to candy. know. Yeah, it's hard to know how long these things are going to last. I, I bought some cheap ones, yep, like for five bucks. Yep, they're still kind of working. Yep, I, I bought cables at the night market in Richmond yeah. here, and um, I think some of them are on the recall list. You know, like, yeah. so they're going to burn your house down, right? <laughs> essentially, we're going to have to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about uh, how hackers have taken hacking to another level, being able to send a little spy package inside a FedEx box or a shipping sleeve, like a Canada Post shipping sleeve, and basically spying on everything as it makes its travel to its final destination. It's called war shipping, and we'll tell you all about it. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We've uh, still got lots to talk about on today's program, including uh, what MIT is doing with robots. How close are we to having the robots take over. Uh, before we get to any of that, I've got Graham Williams here with me from the team. We're going to talk about uh, a new phenomena called war shipping. You might have heard of war driving back in the day. This is kind of a bigger thing back when Wi-Fi networks were just kind of becoming a thing. Uh, people would actually drive around in their cars and uh, try to log into unsecured networks because at that time, not a lot of people actually put passwords on their Wi-Fi Yeah, it was, it was amazing just to have Wi-Fi. And yeah. because these networks were so far between them, you know, there would be maybe one house on the street that had it, uh, people hadn't really caught on to the fact that you needed to protect that, that network. 
So back in the day, I used to do this. I did too. I did too. Like, <laughs> and, a, like a loser. And, and so the, the, the big thing back then was to use a Pringles can as an antenna to help get better reception. Did that really work? It absolutely did. Oh, come on. I will find you the recipe on how to make one of these things. I don't know if there's any science in that. (laughs) Well, uh, we've come a long way. So what we want to talk about today is war shipping. And this is something I think we should all be concerned about uh, just because of uh, how invasive uh, it can possibly be. Computer parts and, and communication parts have just dropped so dramatically over the past 30 years. You can really create some sophisticated things in tiny packages, and that's what we want to talk about today. We've spoken about uh, these Raspberry Pi computer boards in the past on the show. These are little tiny computer boards about the, the size uh, of a playing card, not much thicker, and they are essentially computers. They've got memory on them. You can hook in all sorts of devices. Uh, Raspberry is one of the most popular ones. They've got a number of different models. Well, now hackers have actually created uh, a little package that uh, they can basically put in a FedEx box or a shipping envelope and with a cell data connection on it, actually scan everything that's going on on its journey. They can, yeah. So this is this is from IBM's X-Force Red. This is a group of penetration testers that are designed to go out there and, and look for security breaches or show people ways that you could be hacked. Uh, we've seen stuff like this in the past, right? We've seen, you know, um, wall chargers that have had surveillance equipment attached to them. Um, we've seen USB chargers. You know, when you go to a restaurant, we've seen those where you'd plug a phone in and people inherently will click trust on it. And then all of a sudden it's dumping contact data, things like that. So uh, X-Force Red, they came up with this idea that they would take this Raspberry Pi Zero which is a very small, very low power computer. Uh, They would integrate it with a cellular modem, as you said, and then build it into packaging material. So you basically, you'd get this FedEx box or UPS box or DHL box, and inside it, you would find perhaps a product, you know? And if the security team is doing their job properly, if that product has any sort of digital connection, they don't let it through. But maybe in this case, it's something like a plaque or a stuffed animal. And they check it over and there's nothing inside the plaque. There's nothing inside the stuffed animals. So they put the package through perhaps to the, you know, CTO, the chief technology officer's office. And this box sits in that office for some time. And while it's there, this Raspberry Pi Zero is actually now sniffing that traffic in a secure area where it shouldn't be. This is absolutely brilliant. Like, how do you get past this? You make it look like part of the furniture. I don't know how you would detect that. Well, because you can build this thing right into the packaging itself. Yeah. And, and it's low power. You can actually program this little computer and its cell connection to basically just send out a signal every few hours to conserve battery on it and just basically tell the uh, the hacker what information they found. And, and one of the things that they have done is because they know exactly where a package is and how, it, how long it should take to get there, they will even set this thing to turn off before it gets there, so it's not even emitting any power. And then it has a little bit of a countdown so that it, it, when it arrives, it turns back on. And maybe once a day scans network traffic before sending that out, before shutting back off again to conserve battery. And so, that, yeah, what, what is it scanning for? Network traffic? Network traffic. It could be scanning for uh, vulnerabilities in those networks. Uh, it could be looking at different IP addresses of different products that are in the area, uh, different MAC addresses to see when people are coming and going. There's lots of information that you can get from being able to, to access these networks. I mean, famously, the Russians had ended up giving uh, some American diplomats 
uh, some gifts back in the in the Cold War, and inside them there were bugs. This is basically the evolution <laughs> of that technology. But you're saying they could build these into plaques, you know, like yeah, you best get, customer ever, best supplier ever. And, and here's the thing, you know, if you got you know Mike Angerbug, best radio host ever, would you oh, put that on your wall? I would put that on my wall. And so yeah. that you know that beautiful little crystal dot in the middle is actually a solar panel that is charging the Raspberry Pi Zero in there. That's capturing all of your data. Fascinating. How do we stop that, Graham? The question here is, you know, really not trusting any of the material that comes into your house. If you didn't order something, if you didn't buy something, maybe get that checked over. Uh, Packaging materials, clear them out of your place as quickly as possible. I know for myself, I've been guilty of the Amazon, you know, train of packages that come in and you end up with a stack of boxes by your front door that you're like, you know, I'll I'll break those down tomorrow. So start to look at that. Um, and I think with, when it comes to sensitive companies now, uh, they're going to have to take a look at looking deeper into the materials that are coming through their door, whether it's x-ray, whether it's millimeter wave, uh, and technologies like that to see what's going on inside those packages. It never ends. Uh, that's called warshipping, basically putting little tiny computers in the, the shipping packaging, which will then spy on everything on your network. It's like my warship. Oh, freaky. <laughs> Well, well, we have a lot more to talk about here on Get Connected. When we come back, uh, we will uh, be chatting with uh, Brian Jackson about uh, MIT and uh, the next evolution of robots. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Got John Beeler with me today as well. Well, it's still summertime, and in summertime, we... uh tend to take a lot of pictures it's beautiful out or you're on vacation well what are some cool cameras uh, to have a look at well we've got an expert on the line his name is sam sito he is a photo electronics manager at london drugs here in vancouver and if anyone knows cameras it's sam sam thanks for joining us thanks for having me on sam uh, i wanted to talk uh, about maybe some uh, some different types of cameras that people might be interested in here for the uh, the summertime and uh, you actually sent us uh, a list here and uh, some interesting stuff let's start with the uh, the fujifilm instax replay tell the listeners what this is all about so the Leeplay, as you as you probably know polaroid and fuji have have kind of come back with the old school uh, instant picture cameras. Uh, what is old is new, and, and those particular cameras have made a huge comeback, especially with younger people. They love taking the pictures, putting them on their lockers and on their, their notebooks and stuff. The uh, the Lee Play is a newer piece from Fuji, which allows you to record uh, 10 seconds of audio uh, via a QR code on the actual print itself. So when you take the picture, once you take the picture, you can record ten second, a 10-second message uh, to attach to the photo. When you uh, print the photo, the QR code will print on the actual photo, and then you download the app from Fuji onto your smartphone, and when you scan the QR code looking at the picture, your audio message will play um, on your phone. So you can you know, obviously record happy birthday messages or specific messages of up to 10 seconds in length, and they'll be activated as soon as you scan the barcode that's on the picture. This sounds like uh, something that... Uh Teenagers would uh, love. I know my, my daughter has uh, a Fuji. I think she's got a couple Fujifilm Instax cameras, uh, which I never th- thought they would like, right? Because, you know, everything's digital now, but she loves it. She has taken so many pictures and they're posted all over her room. And so this is kind of cool that you get uh, that audio uh, component as well. Do you remember the price on that, Sam? 
Uh, the price is like, I can't remember offhand. It hasn't arrived into stores. It should oh, okay. be in stores very shortly. But my, my, my estimate is around, uh, I think it was around uh, between $150 and $200 cool. for the camera itself. So, And it is a little bit smaller than your traditional uh, Polaroid. Polaroid obviously has their new camera, which is, a, which is a retro to their old cameras as well. So there's a lot of selection in the, in the instant uh, camera family. So that's pretty comparable, though, to the existing Intax line. It just has some additional bells and whistles. Correct. That's right. Let's move on. Uh, Sony, they have uh, made a uh, huge mark in the, uh, I guess, the more professional uh, type of uh, uh, DSLR camera market. They've got a new Sony A7R Mark IV. It's a mouthful. Uh, tell, tell us what that one's got. So uh, the A7 Mark IV is obviously the newest entry uh, for Sony. The piece, they're taking pre-orders uh, for it now, so the piece should arrive shortly. Um, but the unit is kind of uh, the one of the flagship pieces for Sony, in so much as it is the highest megapixel camera that uh, that's on the market in that format currently at 61 megapixels. So it's a huge resolution increase over some of the previous cameras. And in terms of functionality, it has a ton of features in it that a lot of photographers are really um, super keen on, especially your, your pro-level photographers. So in addition to having um, the 61 megapixels, which, which equates to about like 68 continuous full 61 megapixel shots in a row, so it can record them without in succession that quickly. Um, it has a huge buffer, so it's allowed to shoot continuously for long periods of time. Uh, in addition, it has IAF, which means that it can track your eye uh, movement through the frame. So if you have like kids or toddlers and they're running around all the time and you're trying to get pictures and they're always coming out out of focus, the eye out of focus will actually track their eye. And even when they move and turn away from the camera, it switches to face detection and it still follows the head. And as soon as they flip back around and see the eye, it'll switch back to eye and it'll basically keep them in focus wherever they're moving. As long as you keep them in the frame, it'll keep them in focus. So that is a huge feature that... Um, is new for a lot of the Sony cameras. What's new in this particular camera as well is that eye autofocus is now available in movie mode. It was only previously available in just straight photo, but we find that so many people are, are branching out into cameras and wanting to do both photo and video. It's nice that the feature is now available in video mode as well. Uh, in addition to eye autofocus, it also has animal eye autofocus as well. Thank God. So the, right. <laughs> so you know, for for those crazy wildlife people, um, it's a it it'll track um, eyes for animals. And animals, if you've ever taken pictures of cats and stuff, their eyes like glow like eerie ghost-like colors. So it's not the same as a human eye. So um, regular eye autofocus doesn't track it the same way. So for wildlife photographers, it's great to be able to zoom in on like. Uh, like an eagle or something, and be able to pick their eye out and then have it continuously focus as it's moving because you're just trying to keep it in the frame. That's the hard part. Uh, but then the autofocus part is even more difficult, right? So now that it has eye for animals, you can do a lot of those wildlife photographers are going to be super happy about that. So we'll have much better quality cat photos for the Internet. Yeah, you know, the cat uh, photos is a, is a staple of the Internet, <laughs> so can't have enough of those. 
Let's move on to the next one, uh, and uh, we're very familiar with this because we actually use it for uh, shooting uh, segments for our TV show and for our social media feeds, the DJI Osmo Pocket. Uh, this thing is amazing. Yes. Is it pretty popular? It is extremely popular. Uh, you know, obviously you guys know from experience, but it's probably the smallest uh, 4K-capable camera out there. Um, super, super compact, so you can stick it in your pocket. You, it doesn't take up any space whatsoever. Uh, and obviously, it can shoot at full 4K Ultra HD at 60 frames a second. Um, you know, obviously, at that, at that level, it's only going to give you so much based on your, um, on your memory card and also on uh, how much heat it has to dissipate. I mean, the biggest problems with 4K cameras and newer cameras that are coming out at 6K uh, is heat dissipation. The cameras get super hot. So they they typically restrict the amount of uh, the size of the clips to keep the camera from overheating. But, I mean, just like you guys use it for shooting clips and stuff, I have a, a buddy who uses it uh, almost on a regular basis. He keeps, keeps it with him, and he works for um, Starbucks. And uh, whenever he has to go to a location and talk to somebody and, and do some learning or do some you know retraining, he videos it on his pocket and then he uploads it to the in, his his uh, internal web, and so like pretty much any location of Starbucks can look at that video pretty much right after he shot it, and they can do the same learning without him having to go back to the office or do a bunch of other things. It's he uploads it right away, and and it becomes uh, you know instantly shareable. Right. That, that's what we really liked about it. We went to China and Hong Kong recently, and uh, I had it in my shorts pocket, and you know it's you don't even know it's there it's so small and then you have this little clip that you can attach it to your smartphone and download the footage right onto your phone post on instagram facebook youtube wherever you want to right on the go uh it was just so great for that i also really like the tracking features that it has it'll actually track your face so while you're walking around and talking with it you can um basically always be in frame and and it looks great the only downside to it i found was the the onboard mics aren't quite up to up to snuff and we had quite a challenge trying to track down the little mic adapter so we can actually plug in external mics to it but it does exist and it should be available i guess widely more so now um but that just makes it such a perfect little portable uh camera system for any yeah, kind of travel you know or- uh, i definitely agree with that like the 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 wireless module that allows you to plug in the external mics uh a lot of those accessories they have a bunch of accessories available they have the wireless module they have a couple other pieces as well uh, those were a little harder to get at the very beginning when the actual pocket came out. Uh, we sold gangbusters, but people were definitely waiting for some of those accessories to come out. And uh, they're way more readily available now. So we have plentiful supply at, at Leonard Drugs anyways uh, of those pieces now. But uh, every person who's bought an Osmo pocket has talked about how easy it is to carry around. You almost forget that you have it on you to a certain extent. Yeah. But it's if if you're if you're used to traveling with... Uh, camera gear and carting around a bag of equipment. Uh, the fact that you can keep this in your shirt pocket, uh, it just makes video filming so much easier and so much less cumbersome because you can just pull it out, do the video, put it in your pocket and walk away. And you don't have to pull out a bag. You don't have to load a battery. You don't have to do any setup. It's pretty much point and shoot. Once you have it calibrated, it's awesome. And obviously because it's a, it's a, you know, a 4k camera with a motorized gimbal, most of the video comes out pretty smooth. 
Yeah, it's the same system that's in all of DJI's drones, uh, which yep. makes a lot of sense. We're talking yeah, with Sam. I mean, C- we're talking with Sam Cito from London Drugs. He's the photo electronics manager. Uh, Sam, obviously, they can go into any London Drugs and get more information on this, uh, or hit the website LondonDrugs.com. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. We're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. On the line, uh, we've uh, got our good friend Brian Jackson. Uh, He is now with a company called Infotech Research Group, the world's fastest-growing information technology research and advisory company based in Toronto. Brian, I want to talk about uh, robots now. Uh, Elon Musk uh, has has recently uh, announced uh, a new company. Uh, Is it Neuralink, I believe? Yeah, Neuralink, exactly. Mm -hmm. And... uh, their whole premise is that they're going to be embedding uh, neural nets into our, our brains to measure our electrons to do different things. Well, uh, you have some more information now about MIT and how they're using robotics, uh, taking that a step further. Yeah, well, if you were worried that you'd have to wait for an actual brain implant from Neuralink to be able to control robots, I have good news for you. You won't have to wait that long. If the researchers from MIT's C-Tail laboratory are correct, let me tell you about the experiments that they did. What they did, they used these robots called Rethink Robotics. Uh, so these robots, just so you know, they're typical of what you would see on a manufacturing line where you have this sort of six-axis robotic arm that can uh, manipulate different tools, it can move in all different directions, basically free, totally free, 360-degree freedom of movement. And... Uh, the different thing that Rethink Robotics did is they added a tablet that basically serves as a face. And they found that this really helps uh, in environments where people have to work alongside the robots on a manufacturing line, for example, where you're working with the robot to, to assemble some sort of complicated product, right? So when you look at the robot's face, first of all, or this tablet, its eyes move, so it's appears to be looking at the thing that it's doing, so you can tell where the robot's concentration is. And it also will make eye contact with the people that it's working with when they're involved in the process. And it sort of expresses some pleasant human emotions. And they find that this really helps people connect with their their robot colleagues and uh, hold their, it holds their attention much longer than if there was no face there. So that helps with things like safety and even productivity because you're really paying attention to what that robot is doing, uh, where its intent is at the moment, and um, what's going to happen next in the process, right? So MIT, they said, okay, that's great. We've got humans socializing with robots through facial expressions, but what if we could take this to the next level and actually have humans controlling those robots through their brainwave signals? Uh, so they took an EEG cap, which is basically like this sort of thermet type device, totally wired with electrodes. Uh, you wear that, you connect it to a computer, and through this they can detect when uh, you see an error that's about to happen. So you're watching the robot do its job. Maybe it's sorting uh, widgets into different baskets, and you see that it's about to make a mistake. Oh, well, that widget doesn't go in that basket. So suddenly your your brainwaves spike, 
you have what's called an error detection event in your brain. And the robot can detect that through this interface and say, oh, that's not the right basket because this human with their great intuition was able to identify that I am about to make a mistake. So then it stops, it corrects itself, and uh, it is able to succeed in the task. So the researchers at MIT, they found that, you know, working alone, the robot could be right about 70% of the time, but working with this new human uh, brain <laughs> companion, they were right 97% of the time. So this works. Yeah, it works. So what you're saying basically is that we now have the capability to actually interface with these robots, uh, albeit a, a simple way, and we work better with robots when they have human faces. Yeah, and in fact, you can even go further. These uh, researchers at MIT were able to put uh, electrodes on a person's arm, connect their muscles up to uh, a machine that would convert the electrical signals into a computer signal, and then through that, they could use gestures to remove a robotic arm that was trying to drill a hole in a specific spot, for example. Amazing. We're talking with our good friend, Brian Jackson. He is uh, from uh, a new company now, and uh, it is called Infotech Research Group, the world's fastest growing information technology research and advisory company. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. We come back from the break. More tech to talk here on Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. It's that time for your Amazon skill of the week. And this is uh, for all the folks that have uh, an Amazon Echo device with the Alexa voice assistant. What do you got, John? This week we've got the History Channel. They have this day in history skill. Okay. So you can basically uh, ask for historical facts, uh, not just on a, the day you ask, but on any day you specify. Um, you can either say, Alexa, launch this day in history, or ask this day in history what happened on insert the date so you know august 18th um you might just learn something you can get details about births on that day deaths on that day or big events that happened on that day it's cool so it just reads it out to you yeah that's just, very cool it tells you what happened on that day that you've asked for how much content is there a few minutes worth i think so yeah yeah it, oh, it depends on the day and <laughs> <laughs> and the time in history. April 13th. Nothing happened today <laughs> in, in history. Well, that's kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah, it's from the History Channel. So they probably have lots of that. And, and money-wise? It's free. It's free. I want to thank uh, John and uh, AJ and Graham for joining me on the program today. This is uh, the team logging off. Don't forget to visit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. See you next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.